This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome back to the Mr. D Math and More podcast series. This week, we're going to talk about how to teach math. Yeah, you've ever thought about that. It's like, you know, we go through all these things and there's classes for people to become teachers. There's people that are certified teachers. There's people that are really great at math. There's people that can really teach math and there's people that can do both. Here's what my hope is, is that you become someone who can do both. For me, teaching math is a skill set all on its own. People say to me, they say, wow, you must be so great at math. And for me, most of the time, I'm pretty good at math. There's that. But what really for me makes it work is that I understand the teaching process. So I would say that I'm a great math teacher as opposed to how great am I at math? I'm pretty good at math, but I'm a great math teacher. So let's check it out. How do most people teach math and maybe even how you were taught math yourself? Most people teach math by showing examples. So they say, here is how you do this. So they introduce a concept and you say, look, here's how you do this and you go through the steps. Or you show a young person a formula or someone shows you, use this formula, here's how you do it. Here's the steps to do this problem. So what we tend to do when we're teaching math is we're always showing by example. And some people say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that, with all of those methods, is that there's no context behind which a young person, or an adult for that matter, has any understanding of what you're doing. Why are you doing that? You know, if you just show someone how to do something without any reason behind it, it's like showing a dog how to sit. Now, they'll do it because they think that maybe there's a treat coming, but they don't really know why they're doing it. Have you ever thought about that? The dog, you tell them to teach the dog how to sit, the dog sits, but does the dog know why it's sitting other than it's gonna get a treat? It probably doesn't realize that you're having it sit so that it will actually stay in one place. It doesn't run away. There's all these reasons why you're actually having the dog sit. The dog is just doing it because it knows if it does that, it gets some kind of a treat. So you show someone how to do something, it's a little bit like teaching a dog how to sit. That's all you got. No higher order thinking skills can come out of that. So what do you do instead? You may be thinking, yeah, okay, that's great, Mr. D, but I got it now, so we're not gonna use examples. So everything I've ever done and everything anyone's ever showed me has all been, here's an example, here's how you do it, go do this problem. So what do you do instead? Well, here we go, are you ready? So there's a little bit of work, get ready for this. Not a lot, just a little, and you can do all of this easily and most of it you can get answers to online or right out of your own course materials that you're using. Here's the first thing. Start with defining the topic that you're doing. Define each word. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're teaching how to do the greatest common factor that you work with when you're dealing with fractions, you say, okay, well, what do those three words mean? And you can define them in the general terms as well as in math, but think about the idea of the greatest. The greatest is the most, the biggest, the largest. Okay, that's greatest. Common, what's common mean? Well, something's in common. It means it's the same. We have something that is going to be looking the same as something else does. It's in common. And a factor. This is the tougher one. What is a factor? And you say, hmm, well, a factor, and you think about what's a factor, and some people say, well, it's like a part of a number. 
Well, it's like a part of a number, but it's a divisible part of a number. So what does that mean? What does it mean it's a divisible part of a number? Do you notice? I'm always looking at what does something mean. By the way, what is a divisible part of a number? It just means that it can divide into the number with the remainder of zero. Example, if I look at the number 12, 4 is a factor of 12. Why? Well, because 4 divides into 12 and there's no remainder. So when you look at the greatest common factor, what you're looking for is, what is the largest same factor or divisible part of a number? So you take a look at two numbers and you can find the greatest common factor. You can look at three numbers. You can look at letters, whatever it is. We're looking at factors. Speaking of fractions, by the way, what, what is a fraction? Have you ever thought about that? Well, what is a fraction? Most people will say, oh, well, it's a part of a whole. Well, maybe. What if you've got an improper fraction? What if you've got the whole to the parts? Could you explain that to a young person? Some people say that it's like to take a fraction is to break something into parts. By the way, that's a great definition, right? To break something into parts. For me, a fraction is a comparison. You're showing a comparison of something, something that's a numerator on the top compared to the denominator on the bottom. But because you're doing it in that way, the numerator over the denominator, the little fraction bar is actually a division sign. It's like one-fourth. Well, one-fourth, you could say, is the part of the whole. It's one out of four parts. It's also one divided by four. It's also looking at something where we would say, comparing every time I have one of these, I get four of these. So now, if you notice, I'm starting with the definition and then I'm giving the example. So are the examples important? Absolutely. Do you want to use examples? Of course. But if you don't start with a definition, a young person just doesn't know why they're doing it. They're just doing repeating what you're showing them. So you think about that. Now, can you do more with fractions? Absolutely. Can you take them and let them play with them and take something on the table and cut it up and put it into parts? Of course you can. But what you'll notice is this, is that once the comprehension is there for the topic, young people will be able to make higher order thinking connections to whatever the problem is they're working on. Okay, so that's the first thing. Create that context by defining the terms that you're working on. If you don't know what the words mean, Google them, look them up, and you're going to see more than one definition out there. Find one that works for you. There might be 10 different definitions for one word. Find the one that works for you in the lesson that you're teaching. Bring it in and use that definition. Have your young person be really clear about what does that mean. Okay, now here comes number two. This one is just as or even more important. When is this topic going to be seen again? This might take some work. You may have to ask someone else. You could ask me. Say, Mr. D, we're doing greatest common factors. When are my young people going to see this again in math? Just send me an email. Dennis at MrDMath.com. Be happy to correspond with you about that. You can look it up on Google. You can look in your math courses. Look ahead. Look to see what's coming. Greatest common factors, we usually teach them around grade four, grade five, something like that. And you see that in basic math. But what you don't know is how much the greatest common factor plays a part in algebra and upper level algebra and even up into trigonometry and calculus and beyond. The greatest common factor shows up over and over again. It's not just with numbers, it's with numbers, letters, and numbers and letters combined. There's a way to do the greatest common factor as well there too, which is what makes it so important later on. 
what you want to look at is when do you think that might happen again? And again, you may need to ask someone, find someone who teaches an upper level math class and say, hey, when, when am I going to see this skill or concept again? Find out. Look from the future. What do they need to know to get them to where they're going? Now, this might be a little tough at first. You might look in the table of contents of a middle school or high school course or college course, a syllabus that you see online. Find sample tests online and see what's on the test. You know, oftentimes we're trying to learn with our young people as they're learning. So we just do what's in the course and we're just trying to get to the next lesson without really knowing where we're heading. You may feel like that a lot when you're dealing with math concepts. Why are we doing this? What is the part here that I'm going to need later on? Where am I going to see this piece of a problem again in algebra or geometry or college or whatever that I'm going to be doing later on? In my school career, you may have a great way of tying this into practical everyday kind of math as well. And Google that too. Where are you going to see this out in the real world? When will I see this again? It's a great thing to do for yourself and for young people. Let your young people find out, well, when are you going to see this again? Let them do some of the work too. Really, the idea though is to look from the future. Why do they need to know this now? What difference is it going to make later on? You know, when I start and I teach someone about adding, I tell them that adding is counting things that are the same. Now, there's lots of ways to define adding, but why do I use that particular definition? I use that particular definition because now, when you're adding decimals, you're going to line up the decimals. Why are you going to line up the decimals? Because you're counting the same kind of decimals. You're getting common denominators for fractions. Why are you doing that? Because you're counting the same kind of denominators, the same kind of fractions. Why can you add an X with another X, but you can't add an X with a Y? Because you're counting the same kind of variable. If you get the idea, I start with a definition that I would tell somebody just starting out, not because it's the best way to do it, but because it's the best way for what they're going to see later on down the road. And think again, this might take a little work as you as the teacher, but do that in your planning time. When are they going to see this topic again? I'm going to define the word. By defining the word, it may give you some insight as to when they might see this again. Okay, here we go. The last piece of the puzzle. Here it comes. And this one sometimes is really hard for moms. Let students, let your young people make mistakes. And then let them find out what they did wrong. Let them find out what they did wrong. It's almost like touching the hot stove. It's like instant learning. Now, obviously, I'm not saying go out and touch a hot stove, but it's similar to that. It's like you make the mistake, you find out what you did wrong, instant learning. You know, there's a saying out there that says, learn by your mistakes. Maybe that's the best practice there is. Now, what does that look like to let students make mistakes? Well, you could be sitting there watching them do a problem and you can see already that they're taking the wrong step. Let them keep going until they get to an answer or until when they stop and they look at you and they say, I don't think this is right. And then you can have a conversation. All right, well, let's go back and see where do you think maybe something went wrong? Let's start at the beginning and go back from each step. What did you do and how did you get from one step to the next? And what happened here and what happened next? Is this what you're supposed to be doing next? If you notice, I'm not saying this is what you're supposed to be doing next. I'm asking the question, is this what you're supposed to be doing next? It's always giving the young person an opportunity to look for themselves. It's not saying here's what you do step by step by step. It's asking them the question, what do we do next? 
How do we do this? Why do we take this next step? Why do we make common denominators? How do you make the common denominator? What would make a common denominator? If you notice, all of those kinds of questions are allowing the student to think, to be able to inquire, to be able to start to process, to be able to start to churn and look at those definitions that they've talked about already, and you can start to come up with those higher order thinking skills for them. Letting them make the mistakes and then going back and discovering the mistake along the way is an amazing tool for creating the learning that creates higher order thinking skills. It's an amazing process. Okay, well, sometimes I talk a little bit longer. This time, it's a little shorter. And again, if you think about that, this is how to teach math. Three things. Let's review it really quick. Number one, define the words Define the concepts that you're going to be teaching. Define the words. Go word by word. Come up with a definition for yourself that works. Step two, find out where the topic you're looking at currently is going to be seen again in a higher level class. And step three, let young people make mistakes. It's okay. It's the best way for them to learn and they're practicing. And in practicing, sometimes you make the mistake so that when they get to a situation where they're doing a test or they're doing something like that, they've already made the mistake so they know how to correct it. And when they perform on the test, they're ready to go. Also, by them learning how to make a mistake and learning how to correct themselves, can you imagine what kind of a great young person are they going to be that they know that they can learn from their mistakes and they can move forward and they're not afraid to take that risk, to take that chance to be willing to say, here, I've got the answer. Whether it's right or wrong, they're in the game and they're playing. Okay, well, I hope that you found this podcast informational to you. Uh, if you've got a question or something you wanna ask me about specifically about, well, when am I gonna see this again in math? Let me be your resource. Let me be your Google page. Just send me an email. Be happy to chat with you about it. Dennis at mrdmath.com, D-E-N-N-I-S at M-R-D math.com. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to have you tune in and listen to the podcasters and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.